Hello, everybody. Welcome to Sonic Talk, episode 330. I did get this right. 34. That's right. Recording today, live Wednesday, the 23rd of May 2018. Uh, having a bit of a heat wave here in the UK, even though it was hot and uh, blustery and thunderstormy. I think there's a lot of thunderstorms for all you guys in Europe at the moment. I've um, seen it moving across. I'm supposed to be going on holiday next week, and uh, early part of this week, it wasn't looking too great where I'm going. And so I'm hoping it'll all have blown over and I'll have a very pleasant time and the weather will take a turn for the worse it's nothing like when you go on holiday and you know that back home you're missing some bad weather it's not 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 fun when it's the other way around but it's anyway it's fun anyway this isn't a holiday broadcast it's a a podcast to do with music technology and such like we cover synthesizers software uh music production controllers all that kind of thing so uh please do uh, sit back and enjoy the show we uh, have a sponsor this week uh in terms of competition prize, uh, you can win a copy of Isotope's Neutron 2. Incidentally, Itra, uh, Neutron just dropped the news of Vocal Synth 2, which just came out today. That looks kind of interesting. Perhaps we'll be able to uh, snaffle that as a prize in the future weeks. We'll see how that goes. I want to say hello and welcome to our chat room, people. Uh, this is the YouTube chat room where you can find us, youtube.com forward slash Sonic State slash live. Uh, and on the IRC, uh, if you just go to Sonic State's dot com forward slash live you can access the irc old school chat room so i'm trying to keep an eye on both of them at the same time but if you're uh, if you're trying to get my attention it might be uh, slightly diverted between running the show talking and um all the other things that tend to happen here but we'll try and keep an eye on things anyway lovely to have you uh, let's say hello first of all to mr yoad neighbor who is there in his lovely facility in london he's got Hi, the beauty everyone. shot the beauty shot backup yeah of course uh, mm-hmm. producer engineer are you songwriter as well or are you more uh, on the uh, yeah, yeah, other I'm side writing i'm writing a lot actually yeah okay not, not top lines as such but mainly kind of beats and you know chords and stuff all ah, right okay and and, uh, and in collaboration and collaborating a lot with uh, with other top liners Excellent. That sounds great. And of course, Yoad uh, is involved uh, heavily in uh, producing some plugins for Waves. And I know he's been working on something, but he can't tell us what it is. But we'll probably see it in the light of day sometime soon. And that's all we can say, right? Yeah, I've been working on this specific thing that you're asking about for the past two and a half years or something like that. So hopefully it will see the, the light of day soon. Otherwise, it'll be very annoying. Yeah, I guess I mean, that's interesting, that creative cycle, because, I mean, an album typically would not usually take more than about a year these days. I mean, certainly that even that's kind of uh, seen as mm-hmm. uh, uh, excessive just purely because of the cost of doing it. So to see some, some other projects that last longer is kind of, it, it seems a bit unusual in a way, but, I mean, you've got to get it right, right? Um, yeah, I mean, there have been several projects that took us like three years. Uh, the the H Reverb is one that uh, from... When we started it until it was released, it was about three years or something, and it proved itself because you know it's very popular. Um, and some other projects that that took a while, uh, but usually it takes I don't know, it never takes less than a year to from start to finish on on a product because there's the research period and then the R and D and then product definition and all that and software and graphics and and testing and all that so it takes it takes a long time but um but this particular one that i'm working on right now is is yeah it's quite long 
Right. Okay. Well, we'll have to stay tuned for that. Um, and also, we have Mr. Charles Chicky Reeves, who is back from his travels, where he's been doing front of house for OMD. Um, got a little bit of uh, downtime, although I'm sure it's not downtime because now you're in your studio where he writes songs, produces, remixes, mastering, all that kind of stuff. You've been doing a lot of that, Charles? I have been. Yeah, I've been doing um, working on a soundtrack right now. Um, although we we do have a bunch of shows scheduled. But I'm doing a lot of uh, electronic-based soundtrack work right now and uh, doing a bit of sound design for a video game thing and then, you know, writing my own stuff. And, uh, yeah, so I'm keeping myself nicely busy. But that's this, this is what I do in my off time is I actually work on my off time. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Or it could be, uh, yeah, or but I suppose it depends which way around you look at it. I mean, traveling, uh, there's a lot of downtime in traveling as well. I mean, particularly when you're touring. I mean, that, that whole kind of cycle of getting up, going to the next show. I mean, were you doing shows back to back or were you kind of having a bit more, was there more travel time in between them on most of what you've just done? I, um, so we, we were gone uh, October, November, December, February, March, April. And uh, on all those, we would do... Usually three shows, have a day off, do three more shows, or two two shows and have a day off. And that was kind of our week. Um, we rarely did more than three shows in a row, though. Um, when I was I was touring with Howard Jones, we'd do like seven shows in a row and then have sort of a day off, which was just us traveling somewhere. And the only reason we didn't fit a show in there was because it took too long, took too long to get between the, the two venues. But, um, but yeah, with OMD, it's a much more relaxed. So the three-on, one-off, two-on, one-off is our week. It's a lot easier that way. I like that. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that because, I mean, I've only ever done tours when we've, I've probably done, I don't know, three or four in a row. And, and the the thought of, do, I mean, there must come a point at which, you know, you can look at it two ways, can't you? You can either be you get really honed or you just get really worn out. I mean, because it's, you know, the energy peaks and troughs are a, 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 a thing that you have to deal with. I wonder, you know, do you think there's a, yeah. an aspect of doing that? doing longer a longer run is better or maybe if you, you're a resident somewhere no. and you don't have to travel you just show up at the theater which maybe you've got a week shows at yeah that that's a lot easier to do it's the it's the showing up to a new venue each day and you know when you sort of you know your bus pulls in early in the morning into a venue and you wake up and you're inside the venue already and you know you spend the whole day setting up the show you do the show you spend the rest of the evening breaking down the show you get on the bus and then the next day you're at another venue like that. You would think you get into a rhythm of things, but that actually really is wearing. It's really wearing. Three days is great because on the second day when you're kind of tired from having done another show, you know, you're thinking, well, there's one more show. It's it's then I get a day off. So that's fine. Four is a little bit tough because you're like, oh, crap, there are two more shows. But seven, that's just like it's just pull your hair out kind of thing. <laughs> it's it's right. really it was really hard to do it like that. But. You know, luckily, I have to say, though, with with OMD, it's pretty easy, um, comparatively speaking, partly because a lot of it is, yeah. we, we've got, um, you know, it, we've got the whole thing planned. It's it's all DI-based stuff, except for the vocal mics uh, and the sax mic and a couple of drum things. But but generally speaking, everything is on DI, and it's just very quick for us to set up. We, we really have a very fast setup, uh, considering how complex it is. I'm really yeah. happy about how we worked it out. I suppose that's the thing with modern technology. You can get so much more. Pro I guess it must be much tougher if you're if you're like a rock and roll act where it's, you know, it, it's about the 
the largesse of the the backline and the and the kind of the theatre of it, and and there's a more energy and th- more things have to go right, and look, well, there's perhaps more things that can go wrong when you've got a lot of uh, mic mic up stuff. But yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay. Um, well, let's uh, if we're talking about largesse and excess, let's start with this. This is uh, our friend uh, Tom Carpenter at Analog Solutions, who bizarrely also really collects digital equipment. And this is a cover that he did, which is he called it an old grey whistle test reu- pet shop boys reunion. So he, this is actually filmed in kind of old school style. He's got a bank of uh, CRTs there. There we go. I'll get them. Couple of Fairlights synced up. Emulator two. DX one as well, which is always nice to see. Uh, SRCAT, you might remember that. Uh, what else did he have? So that's Tom there on the left and a uh, friend helping out. So they do a cover basically of uh, it's it's from 1986. The album uh, was Please and it's called Opportunities. And uh, Tom says that he did it because he remembers as a kid seeing that and it was so influential and it's been this sort of really long project to bring all of these things together. If you follow Analog Solutions or Tom on Facebook, you've been seeing these photos. You go, oh, there's a fair light. And you go, that's nice. And then, and now it seems we know why. I think the one I'm most jealous of is the DX1. But I suppose the... Um, the thing that was is, you know, that that's a pretty completest thing. I mean, you work with some of these guys who, who were kind of around in the day and were perhaps using some of that stuff. And I mean, at least he's not touring it, but hell of a project. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I, I didn't realize Tom was doing that, um, although I had been seeing what he's been posting on Facebook. But wow, that was that was impressive. You know, <laughs> it's kind of weird, though. It's like I'm, I'm, I'm glad he did it, but I, I would never do that. <laughs> Just like you know, and even even the acts I work with, they're they're kind of like, oh yeah, we used to use the Jupiter Eight for this, and we you know all, and we used to have Fairlight for this, and now they're like, no no no, we if if we had to redo that song, we do it with the Fairlight app on the iPad, and you know the you know like a some simulation of the Jupiter, like we would not go for the original stuff because it's just too too difficult to put together, and you know, and even reading what Tom did, it sounds like it was very tricky to put it together. He was doing. Some of, some of the trickiness was in the video playback because yeah. he was using two DVDs for playback and uh, recorded the whole thing on a on a Zoom R8. Or R8, something, yeah, three of them I think yeah. they had. Yeah, I think that sounds yeah. like the hardest stuff rather than – I mean, because <laughs> yeah. what's bizarre about it is it's actually just using MIDI, you know, to sync these up, which is, you know, <laughs> still what you might use these yeah. days. So that's kind although, of... he, he, although he was replaying parts because there's a lot of parts that didn't he didn't have MIDI going. For uh, it. So, that's he, true. so he so he's replaying quite a few things. I think it's really it's very admirable, um, but a bit yeah, obsessive. It, it, it's a weird. It's it, you know. I, I mean, I I would say this to his face. I'd be like, "Well, oh, that is pretty obsessive, man." <laughs> but it was great. It was great. I wouldn't do it, but it's great. Yeah, no, it's jolly good fun. I don't know. Uh, yeah, and I mean, I guess most of the stuff that you're dealing with it that comes through, you might have something that's been tracked on one of these old beauties, but nobody's going to bring one into the studio to kind of to to record it. Mm, not really. I mean, I'm, you know, I feel lucky that I had the opportunity to be, to, to actually produce and, and mix and, and, uh, and make music this way. I mean, uh, I'm not going to say how long it was because it will just tell how, how old I am. But, um, but I used to have the Atari and, and a good eight or 10 pieces of of like midi stuff uh, all connected together and um 
and record it to 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 inch tape and all that so i you know it's kind of nostalgic but i, I don't in, in a way i kind of miss it because it was a more hands-on approach and all that and and these days you just move the mouse and and kind of the most labor intensive thing you have to do these days is to decide which plugin you want to use and it's a little bit it's a little bit boring i mean i i still have the gear and actually much more than i had back at back at the day back in the day but uh but i'm i'm not gonna run this kind of setup <laughs> again it's it's like yeah it's too much it's too much it's interesting though i don't know if you remember the uh the src at which is uh the src was a, a sync box so it was a midi it's an, a simt sure. to midi timecode box and yeah. uh it was the thing that i first bought because it would allowed you you know particularly when you had a crummy four track where the timecode would drop out it had a jam sync function mm -hmm. which would allow you to uh and you could put tempo yeah. maps into it but it's, it was a really a horrible yeah yeah, and yeah. restripe. That's right. Restripe the set. Yeah, yeah. There was that. There was the SMP twenty four. It was a Steinberg hardware sync box, which Multi -ports, was quite yeah. amazing. Yeah, but also what you could do is you could feed it with audio, and it would create the tempo map, the MIDI tempo map based on the audio you feed it to. Oh, like a click. S like a click yeah so you would say that it's a quarter note uh, time base and then uh, you know all the drum parts back in the 80s was were like kick snare kick snare anyway so you would feed it you would bust the, the the kick and the snare and feed it to that thing and it would create a tempo map which you could transfer via sysx to the atari into cubase and then you would basically sing so in a way it's like what logic has just uh, done recently where you can tempo map you know your session to an audio but that was vice versa you could tempo map the midi to the existing audio from the two inch tape and that right. was quite quite amazing and quite advanced for for the time i don't know why they stopped making it because it was it was a really good good box yeah, I remember, I think I had, God, we had a few of those. There was a funny looking thing that was sort of triangular that you'd stick on the side of the Atari, which had a bunch of ports. Midex or something was yeah, it called? Yeah, the, the, there was the Midex and, and then there was the Uniter. The Uniter was amazing because it gave you, the, that was for C-Lab, for the predecessor of, of Logic. Yeah. Because it gave you, it gave you seven ports um, plus another three of, of uh, from the printer port on the back so you had like 12 or 13 midi ports it was quite amazing yeah and that was the back of the day when you know you get kind of congestion when you're running bit large midi rigs like we all were because we could get so many more live tracks than we could print to our you know if you had a two inch mm -hmm. or, a, or a mitsubishi or yeah. something then great but most of us only had four or eight tracks so you could run any number of things it's interesting isn't it it's sort of people are kind of going what's the point of this but isn't it isn't it similar in a way to uh you know looking for that classic guitar rig which has got you know your your your, your your authentic telly, you know, from 1950s and the authentic Fender Absolutely. Uh, champ or something like that. It's kind of a similar, isn't it? I mean, there's not that much of a difference. I mean, obviously a bit more excessive. But it's it sounds different as well because, the you know, the fluctuation of, of MIDI and all that, it all contributes to the, the fatness and, and, you know, analog and kind of early digital synths, which, which were kind of awful but sounded great at the same time and really noisy and... 
I don't know. Maybe you know. Maybe I'm just looking back with with kind of a nostalgic uh, view on the whole thing um, because I don't think I was any happier as a person at the time. It's just looking <laughs> back. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a great lie alright Charles any of those things that, that featured there that you would like to have I must admit I, I've, I've wanted to I've wanted a DX1 just, and yeah, it's not DX there's one. no there's no reason for it other than it's just such an iconic synthesizer it really yeah. is I mean even a 5 would do but a 1 is just I think I've got a couple of pictures of it here they're sort of, but they're a bit hard to yeah. say and you get there there's a guy who shows up I think it's the Ploytech guys at Superbooth they sometimes show up with a DX1 use it a master keyboard for those funny little MIDI driven <laughs> synthesizers that come in a MIDI cable you know and it's just a brilliant <laughs> juxtaposition <laughs> God knows what they like to program Oh, I can it's imagine. Like I mean, killing a mosquito with a phone book. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. I'm gonna yeah. have that. I'm gonna have to put that in a uh, in as a as a title substitute. <laughs> killing a mosquito <laughs> with a phone book. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Uh, okay, that's in there for a for a title. Yeah, but uh, you know, admirable, I suppose, is fair to say, isn't it? But yeah, yeah. but a bit weird. Uh, yeah, you know, and and uh, I wouldn't I, honestly, I wouldn't mind having like one of the old Fairlights. Just so at least I could compare it to the app because the app is actually pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I'd love it'd be nice to have something like that sitting in here. I mean, I've I've got my I've got a few keyboards and stuff. So, well, you can't see them now because the way I have the computer angle. But I've, I've got a few keyboards around here that just look beautiful. But honestly, I don't use them that much. But, you know, but they do look great in here. So, <laughs> and people walk and go, wow, that's amazing. Anyway, so let's work on these keyboards over here. <laughs> That's fun. no, it's funny, isn't it? It's well, it, I, I remember because I know you're a fan of the Matrix Brew, and it is it's it's a similar thing. It's like a muscle car of a synth, but it's a modern muscle car. You know, in the same way that the Schmidt is, and I suppose mm -hmm. to a degree, you know, maybe some of the the the, the OB6 and what have you. I mean, I don't know what else there is in terms of sort of muscle car synths. I don't know. Have you got any uh, any ones that you're you got the Rev Two, which is quite impressive, but it's not the Rev quite... Two is is it, it's quite, I mean. As far as modern synths go, I think that that kind of, um, you know, it is it is that, you know, you can argue that uh, that a big modular rig is, uh, is, yeah. is, is one of those. I don't know. I don't know. I, I still like my old 101 and, and Minimoog and, and, and all that and Jupiter and... There's something about those sounds and those synths. Actually, to, to, uh, I, I do have a K5, a Kawai K5M, oh, yeah. which was an mm. additive, which is an additive synth, uh, and this is an amazing machine. I mean, it's it the noise it generates is pretty much equivalent to the sound it makes. So the the noise is really really loud. But what you can get out of it, it's it's quite mind blowing, and it taught me a lot. I learned so much about synthesis just using this particular synth and i really love it it sounds like I, that was Ka, that was kawaii's kind of answer to the to the d50 the release of yeah the well it had was... it, it had partials didn't it as well sort of sample partials if i remember correctly no no no, no. not at all not at all it's just additive it had it has a uh, 64 or 128 which is, is quite remarkable remarkable for the time uh, oscillators like sine wave oscillators and you can but the great thing about it is that you can assign them to groups so you can you have four groups of envelopes so you have four envelopes and then you can assign all the odd 
uh, harmonics to one and and all that and you can really sculpt the the sound it's a beautiful uh it, i think it's the best still to this day i think it's the best kind of hardware interface wow. that that i know because it has is a that proper it there? screen is that yeah, it there? Yeah, yeah, that's the one. That's the one. It's, it looks that's very uh, data entry driven, but yeah, I've, I had a, uh, no, a K. I had a K one. Uh... I had a K one, uh, which I remember the K one. Uh, one of the reasons I really like it had a really lovely keyboard feel to it. It was a really nice feel, and that that was that. I'm sure that had sample partials. That one, maybe that was a bit different. It's different. Yeah, the K one did. The K one had analog filters, and and it's like a almost like a Proteus or something like that. Uh, but talking about keyboards and the DX one, the DX seven is still one of the best keyboards. I think I'm not, a, you know, I'm not a pianist. I'm, I'm so I'm fine with like kind of semi weighted or whatever it's called uh, keys uh, or spring uh, driven. But but the DX seven has a really beautiful keyboard. I mm. still love it. Interesting. Mm. There you go, Charles. You can you can now you can interject with your favorite ke uh, synth keyboard action of all time. <laughs> oh, you know, I, I, it's easy. The uh, ESQ, the the early in Sonic. I liked it because it was really clicky. Uh, okay. You know, and uh, and also I like my OP one. It has no velocity whatsoever, but it's really clicky. I, in other words, the common thread here is I like clicky keys. <laughs> Charles clicky, Charles, Charles clicky keys. There we go. There's another That's possible right. title there. I'm just going to write that one down. Charles clicky keys. Right. I vote for that one. Anyway, um, if you want to check it out, the, there isn't really a place where it lives, but we wrote a news story about it, uh, which uh, you can find on the site if you're searching for it. Uh, you've, they've also got, uh, I think it's just on YouTube, but it, uh, the links just point you back to his site, which doesn't have any, any record to it. So I, I'm trying to find a bit more of a description in it. Anyway, um, so um, what about this then? This is the news that Steinberg are now going to... Uh, Basically, VST2 coming to an end, uh, which was announced quite some time back, uh, 2013. They actually stopped the SDK being supported, but there was a there was a uh, a kind of a, a code base within the VST3 SDK which allowed you to sort of wrap VST2 code into the VST3. And it seems like okay, yeah, whatever. Everybody's over to that, but that's not actually true. There's a load of plugins that are still VST2 and use that format, and it's a really interesting move. Because essentially, it's going to shut down quite a lot of people who are still just coding VST2. Because there are some distinctions and differences. I think VST3 removed sort of full SysX and full CC capability, as far as I understand. I'm I'm paraphrasing here because I am not an expert. I'll start with you, Yad, because I mean I know you develop and you develop instruments. I mean, do you think this is a big deal or is it kind of a yeah whatever? I think it's inevitable, and I think. Um... Obviously, you know, a lot of companies, a lot of plugin uh, makers will have to catch up and, and move to, to VST3. But I think that the, train, the, the trend is to make, and this is what VST3 allows uh, after so many years of, of, of um, not having sidechain in Cubase and all those things, all those limitations. Um, the, the, what VST3 allows is integr uh, is kind of communication between different channels for third-party uh, software makers like Waves. Uh, and this is something that we started with the NLS back in the day and QClone after that, which is which are two plugins that can communicate between different instances of the same plugin. 
Um, and I think that this trend and neuron um, neuron is uh, isotope neuron is using a similar method of com communicating between different instances of of plugins over uh, that is is not um, their own or it's you know so, ah, okay so, so it's like an internal so communication bus as well exactly because exactly because if you if you are Steinberg or or Apple or or Avid then you can do things like um, heat in Pro Tools where you can control different um, different plugins together because you own the mixer so you can uh, build or design the architecture the internal architecture of the mixer but when you're a third-party uh, company like waves you have to find ways of communicating and sending control data and audio data between different plugins um, without having uh, without involving the the, the the doors mixer so and and we're gonna see more and more plugins uh, or more and more companies that that will utilize uh, those capabilities so I think it's quite important for for the development of this whole industry so you know it's not like VST has a specific sound that we're gonna lose or anything like that you know what I mean so it's just uh, VST3 is is mainly better in most aspects and and hopefully we will go, we will see more protocols that will allow even more integration between mixers between DAW mixers and and plugins in the future. So I welcome this, uh, you know, this trend. Right. Okay. No, interesting. Of course, uh, is it Softube? They do. I, I can't remember what that's called now. The Softube with the controller that must use VST. The so there's probably quite a lot of VST three. Yeah. I mean, once. Yeah. It's like focus. It's like um, uh, Apogee they have some sort of integration with apple they always historically they always used to have that with the controllers that with their sound cards that that allow you to to change the mic level from within logic and things like that so sometimes you have collaborations between hardware or software makers and uh door makers but but in the majority of cases you have to as a plug-in manufacturer you have to just find ways of of if you want to do kind of elaborate stuff and uh and and communicate between different plugins then you have to find ways of of doing it via side uh via side chains and and other ways of of mm, uh, sending control data yeah ah, interesting uh charles i mean uh, i'm presuming you know you you're working to film composition. I know you have a lot of instruments, but I mean, as we all do, we have to work in the box just for kind of bre the sake of brevity and recallability mm -hmm. and speed right. in some cases. I mean, it's not to say that these plugins are going to go away, but they're going to. There's going to come a point where you have to choose, right? If I upgrade my OS or my DW, I'm not going to be able to use them anymore, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it seems to me it was announced so long ago that that, that it was going away that. I'm kind of surprised a lot of people haven't switched over anyway. But that said, I, there's not a whole lot I can add to this, only because obviously Yard knows a lot more about it than I do. And the other thing is I pretty much use AAX and AU because I, I use uh, Ableton Live, which will run VST and AU plugins. And they, just the, the AU filing system is just a lot easier for me. Um, so I really almost never even delve into VST based thing. It, it, certainly not anything that's VST only. I don't I don't have any plugins that are VST only. They're oh, okay. all A, AX and or AU. 
So and they're just they so, might happen to be VST, but you're not using that version of it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I, in fact, I don't think I've even scanned my latest because I just upgraded my computer system to this new iMac Pro thing, and uh, I don't I don't think I've even scanned for VST plugins at all. So I don't think, because <laughs> yeah, I just it hasn't a, even a, scanned, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, no. <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> yeah, I, I just it's just not it's just not part of my world. AU and and uh, AAX plugins are pretty much all I use. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, there was some interesting comments. Uh, actually, some uh, Muzak in the comments here on on this article that we published uh, does mention a couple of things, and one of them is obviously you can still use something like Juice which uh, will perhaps give you a a VST compilation sort of backdoor route to be able to still publish that code. Uh, uh, He also mentions that a lot of these outcomes just sort of seems like there's there's no great, you know, Steinberg aren't necessarily gaining anything by shutting it down, apart from the fact, I suppose, that they don't have to support it. But if they just kept it open and don't support it, I suppose it might limit where they can go with their VST three development if they're constantly going back and going, oh, it has to have this in it, we're mm-hmm. pulling this in. We've talked about this before, haven't we, this sort of notion of uh, DAWs get to a certain age and they're just bringing all this legacy code with incompatibility and it starts to get really unwieldy, which is, I think, why we saw uh, maybe three, four, five years ago, there was a whole new tranche of uh, DAWs, uh, uh, Studio One and whatnot, that, that, that start and Bitwig, which just start with, you know, here we go, We'll start here, and it just means that they can then move forward without having to bring all that stuff with them. And I suppose that's probably yeah. why they've done it more than anything else. And then inevitably, what happens is once once people or once these companies make some sort of change, everyone gripes about it. So, you know, yeah, well, it's it's, it's like, a painful process, isn't it? It's a it, it is. It's, Every, it's difficult. I'm, I was just, around to remember the whole OS X changeover from from uh, OS Rosetta, nine, yeah, know? and Rosetta and all yeah, yeah. Of that. Yeah, well, that was oh, painful gosh. too. I suppose that's the thing. I mean, it's a bit like uh, GDPR at the moment. We've got to go through all our databases and just strip out any information we might have and ask people if it's okay. It's a, it's a, it's a terrifying thought when you've got a mailing list of a certain size and you mail them all out going, do you want to stick around? And the, the percentage of people that do is as low as it is because they're just a lot. I think, and I'm doing the same thing. I'm getting constantly barraged with emails saying, uh, mm-hmm. opt in. I'm going, yeah, maybe I won't. This is actually quite a good culling process, but obviously uh, yeah. we like to keep people... Uh, keep people aboard. But anyway, we've still yeah. got some. We've still got some friends, but, you know, hey, what can I say? Um, this is probably a good time to perhaps uh, bring our little uh, segment in for Isotope. Isotope, of course, uh, Neutron 2, the mixing suite and a set of plugins which help you with uh, sort of post-production, mastering, also channel processing, loads of great features, multi-band dynamic EQ, uh, vintage and uh, classic modes for many of these scenes. There's a gates, compressors, multi-band compressors, uh, soft saturation. Uh, I mean, they re- really have thought of a many, many things. Versatile multi-band compressor, which is incredibly useful. Still something that I struggle with the concept of. As I say, vintage and modern modes. Uh, there's also spectral shaping, and uh, I think it's a, a powerful new gate, which is often overlooked as a thing. Hysteresis, hold and smooth gating, really useful just for cleaning up and getting the most out of any audio. Uh, multiband transient shaper, this is also really useful for creating uh, transients across the audio spectrum, really useful stuff. Uh, in fact, I was talking to uh, Rich Hilton, who didn't make it this week. Uh, Rich is okay, by the way, because I know he had a lot of uh, storm trouble. True, uh, he said he couldn't work without the masking meter, the music masking meter system, because it just absolutely shows him where 
there may be conflicts that he can't necessarily hear. Really, really useful stuff. Anyway, if you want to get uh, Neutron 2, uh, head over to isotope.com forward slash Neutron. And as with all the things, 10 days standard de uh, demo, um, which is unlimited as far as I can tell. So yeah, please do try that. And also we got a competition. Last week we asked uh, for a couple of hashtags to, for somebody to win uh, Neutron 2. And we have a winner called Rob X Loxley at Rob X Loxley on Twitter. You have won. It just says, I want to win and the, the hashtags we asked for last week. So uh, congratulations. If you want to get in touch, then we'll be able to uh, furnish you with your copy of Neutron 2. And we've also got another competition. Uh, you still win Neutron 2. Might be the last one. We may be moving over to Vocal Synth 2 because that was just announced, which looks really interesting as well. We're looking for the hashtag Mix Balance and the hashtag Neutron 2 and you tweet those to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. Uh, it is a Twitter-based competition. We're looking for the hashtag Mix Balance and the hashtag Neutron 2 to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. And we thank them for providing the prize for this week. Very much appreciated. Um, let's see what's next. I might go for this one because this is a bit of fun this Listen was a great documentary sound. by uh estelle caswell for vox and this that? is the history okay. of the orchestral the sample called an orchestra hit bruno mars he's the king of I won't play it all. It's a long and very fun and interesting uh, piece, and it it's amazing how many how that shaped the the kind of the soundscape because it said two things. You know, back in the day when samplers were very very difficult to get hold of, it says we've got one, which is you know there, there's an element of one-upmanship and, and availability, and it also was a very current sound and the pitching of it. And it's uh, Igor Stravinsky uh, from the Firebird Suite, and I think it was originally composed in where was it? I've got the actual uh, 1909. Yeah. Astonishing um, uh, way back. But I mean, and we've all got, we've probably, I don't know whether we've, I'm going to come to you first, Charles. Have you ever used that in your musical past? Plenty of times. Plenty of times. In fact, I'm, I'm getting requests to use it more and more now. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a big retro sort of thing to add in. Um, and I actually have uh, a recording of the Firebird Suite conducted by Stravinsky. For that directly off of it <laughs> wow so, uh, yeah 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 um yeah it's i mean god that thing that that was when i was before i was born obviously uh that was a big hit <laughs> no no i remember <laughs> as, as a as a younger person uh that was like in every song i, I the thing i remember it most being when was the uh, janet jackson track um oh yeah it's a jam and um, spoon wasn't it yeah yeah when i think of you yeah that's yeah. right. Yeah, which was so a I, great I, album. <laughs> it was a great album. Was that? Uh, gosh, who did that? Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis? Was that right? Uh, uh, Jam and was it Jam and Lewis or Jam and Spoon? I can't remember who it was. I can't remember. It might be, uh, Terry, yeah. but it was definitely Jimmy Jam. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. So I I remember that going. Wow, how you know? I didn't understand the whole concept of samplers back then because obviously I was still a zygote. Um, <laughs> but not even. But, but I remember not even a zygote. I was just a twinkle in my dad's eye. Um, but that's that's when uh, I remember kind of go, you know, how did they get this orchestra to do this? I guess they put it on a tape and then they spun the real tape in or something, you know. So and then I started finding out what an emulator was and things like that. So that thus began my my downhill slide in life. <laughs> Not long until you become Tom Carpenter, because there's, I suppose, there's a link there. Yeah. <laughs> I know, Yoad. Did you? Uh, 
I mean, again, you know, we're we're of, a, of an age when we would have been using these kind of sounds, and it's a, it's an interesting story, this one, isn't it? Because the whole thing was a complete accident. I, I don't know if you're familiar with the with the with the tale of uh, um, how it yeah, came the about. One, the one thing I didn't get is how did he get away with putting it on the Sinclair, on the Fairlight um, stock sounds without clearing the the actual recording. So, yeah, I don't uh, know that because back then it was all very. Uh, yeah, that's a very good point. I don't know that. I, I should just refer. The story is apparently Peter Vogel was. I think he was just sort of showing somebody what Fairlight could do, and he happened to have this record. He just put it on, put the needle on the record in the classic terms, uh, in in, a, in true hip hop uh, quote, and that was the thing that he sampled. It was like, oh, there it is, and then it became part of the library. So it was completely random. Uh, the only the only fact factor that made it likely to happen was it's the first note of the b-side of that recording but conducted by august Stravinsky, which is just a, a lovely tale yeah mm. so it's easy enough to edit it to edit the the, the the front of that yeah but i mean uh it's yeah i mean trevor horn was using a lot of of um you know of he had this sample here this um uh, orchestra hit. I'm not sure whether it's that particular one or the other one because there are two. Orc one. There's the one that's <laughs> the, the, the Stravinsky one goes like, Wut! you know, it has that, that glitch in the, in the beginning and there's the other one who is more like brass. I'm not sure where it's taken from but it's very popular as well. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm a big fan of, of Trevor Horn, everything he did. So he did the, the, the Yes album um whatever the 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 number one for something 90125 uh, yeah uh, exactly. yeah owner of a lonely uh, heart that wasn't it? there's a lot of stuff yeah. in there yeah exactly yeah. yeah yeah so that i don't think that that's the stravinsky one i think that that's the other one ah uh, i don't know that's interesting uh, I've just got to quickly. Uh, let me just quick because we've got we've we've got uh, Feld Muso who uh, if you didn't see our Fairlight uh special with him uh he's uh he's actually uh he thinks it's halfway through side a on the uh, on the fireworks week so it was even more random so that's a brilliant i think he might have actually told me that story so yeah brilliant um yeah but there's so many tracks aren't there what's it? uh africa bambaya planet rock duran duran the smiths yeah. even mantronics uh, i've even got one myself and i can't remember whether this is a truncated version of orc one or orc two or whether it's uh orc one uh but here we go this is a this is something i did a long time ago here we are is that you no that is jason who is the drummer for the cure bizarrely oh, oh i know jason i work a lot with him he's a oh, great drummer and he's a really cool guy yeah oh uh, yeah so that's anyway that's it actually you know jason that's really interesting because jason uh, yeah. i've known yeah. jason since i was about 14. He's like a child. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. he's a really, really good guy. And he lives around the corner. And whenever I, I need like really good drumming, I, I just uh, I just call him. And if he's available, if he's not on tour, which he mostly is, then he comes and plays his beautiful uh, drums. Oh, well, there you go. I did not know that. That's funny. I, I know that Jason actually has just through IK. It's the London Sound or the London... Him yeah. and another drummer have just released a library of sort of grooves yeah. and drum kits mm -hmm. uh, through IK Multimedia. There you go. Mm -hmm. Wow, it's a small world, isn't it? What a small world. But a great documentary if you haven't had a chance to, to watch it. And uh, um, it's got a, a very rare appearance from Peter Vogel via very pixelated uh, Australian Skype. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's just I, I love these kind of things about the history of those sounds. Is there are there any? Have you got any other favourite sounds? What's the last vintage sound? I mean. 
okay, apart from an 808 kick sample. You can't yeah, have that. Uh, it's it's actually another Fairlight sound. I, I can't remember the name of it. It's that sort of airy vocal sound. Um, but it doesn't sound like voices per se. I, gosh, I wish I knew what the name of it was. But it's sort of like a wind Calliope voice sort of thing. Right. Okay. Interesting. It's not it's not a calliope. It's a it's but it's something it's gosh, you know, I'll find it. I've got uh, it. I think I know. Like, I think I know. I think I know oh, the one. Okay. I mean, it's quite quite glossy kind of sound, yeah, isn't it? Glossy, and it's like a it's a type of sound you can use in almost any track. It just really, yeah, yeah, yeah. harmonically will fill up a track in a beautiful way. Um, they have it on the bad imitation of it on the Roland JD eight hundred that I'm actually pointing to right now. Um, but the the original yeah, because, Fairlight because one is really good. Exactly, I was about to say I was about to say that on the D fifty they had a similar sound or the front of of a similar sample. Uh, uh, which find, found its way into the JD800 as well. Sarah Chicky says, uh, says uh, a resident uh, Fairlight expert, phase mu- uh, f- failed muso. S- apparently it's called Sarah, which is S A R A. Yeah, that rings a bell. That yeah, that sounds bell. like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love the chat, the chat room is a wonderful thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're on fire today. <laughs> they are. Yeah. Well, we just so happen to have uh, um, Fail Muso, who, uh, if you didn't see it, we did a special with him because he was working on a restoring uh, Fairlights uh, with Peter Vogel. So he'd yeah, get them I over here this, and this get them. Fa- and we went through a load of. He just sort of had a, 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 a move through the disc drive on one of them, and it was just all of his stuff. And you just go, oh my goodness! In fact, I'm sure there must be a, a, a market for. Remember all those sounds that either wherever they came from. Because there was, you know, high-end samplers, all all the great stuff ended up being conduit back through to the lower-end ones, like the S nine hundreds and the mm-hmm. the S seven seven sixty or whatever. All of these kind of lower-end ones, and so there's this sort of set. There's this entire kind of strata, archaeologically almost, of 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 sounds that made it through, were filtered into this sort of the sound set that one would have if you had a sampler, or you might try and get hold of. Yeah, that's that's an interesting. Mm. Uh, great, but like uh, I say, great documentary. Sorry, go ahead. There's some, there's something about, there's something about those S S nine hundred and S thousand, and uh, even the Casio. I, I still have the Casio FZ FZ ten M, which is a great sampler and has a resynthesis capability. Oh, that's right. Uh, and additive synthesis, synthesis uh, a bit like a uh, kind of a, a poor man's um, Synclavier. A really great machine, um, but it sounds all these libraries that were made uh, and and condensed in in order to to fit on a on a two megabyte floppy disk or or two floppy disks or whatever, because you had to feed one and then the rest of it or or from <laughs> from that backup and and all that all those that there was so much labor put into them and there was and they were so carefully made and they still sound great. I have. When I when I switched to Giga Sampler back in whenever it was from from Akai, uh, when it came out, I converted uh, a lot of my Akai, Akai sample samples to to the Giga format, and from there, EXS twenty four can read them, and I still have some of the string samples which are like one megabyte and stuff, and some of the slap bass from the Akai and and things like that, and they just sound so good. There's something mm-hmm. about them that still sounds so. I mean, it it, it doesn't have those magic uh, magical converters like the S1000 and all that uh, playing through 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 Logic. But there's something about the actual 
samples that sounds that sounds really good so so if yeah if someone is making those libraries i would i would very happy i would be very happy to to have one of all the emu sounds and all that mm. Yeah, I mean, it, that yeah. would take quite a lot of work to just to, to, to track it down, I think, wouldn't it? I mean, it's astonishing, really. That, um, yeah, I, I, that, what was the thing? There was a what was an Oberheim DPX one or something that had mm -hmm. uh, yeah. a five-inch reading disc and a quick disc reader, or a, a, it had two different flots, so it would read sample sets from Mirages and a, a few different oh, samples, and it was just a, a player. I can't remember what it was called. Uh, mm. by, by the way, the, the, the Mirage had... had uh, an orchestra hit which was i think that that was the the the, the second the, the the other one because that's ah, okay. a different one so i think that it came with with its own um uh mirage was a great machine yeah i used to i remember but uh, gosh this is getting really uh inside kind of uh hex I remember um, the the time when I sent away for my Massos Mirage Massos OS, which came on a separate floppy disk. It was a Mirage Advanced Operating System, something or other, and you'd plug that in, and it introduced all these. So you load the samples in, and then you could perform all these other functions on it via this Massos OS, which you'd have to f to load in to load certain functions off. It was so clunky and horrible. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I can't even remember what it used to do. It was probably only resampling or, you know, yeah. advanced. Yeah, I remember there was something. There was something similar on the on the Yamaha, whatever the sampler was called. I I forget where you, you would load a, a sample, and then you would pr process it in some way. It you would wait for like a good minute or something, and then it would just sound better. Sound kind of louder and better. I don't know what it just normalized, it basically. Yeah, probably just normalized. Yeah. No, no, it was it was more than that. It was like everything more or something. Yeah, sounds like it was worth the wait. I would say, excellent, <laughs> excellent. Uh, I'm glad we managed to get that one in. Um, so I know, uh, yeah, you've got to head off uh, at five dead. So perhaps uh, you could, you might want to choose which of the remaining two topics. Uh, we could do that. Well, three. In fact, there was the uh, what's your first synth, which was the uh, there's the Moogfest one, or I think there's this uh, VST editor for the uh, Korg Volca Keys. Would you like to Would you like to ch choose uh, one of those? <laughs> uh, first thing, synth is 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 one. I have it here in front of me. Not the, the same same one, but it's the Gen uh, SX. 1000 it's an italian synth from the i think early 80s very early 80s and it's a it's just a beautiful synth i had actually my friend had it when i was about 10 or something like that and uh and i learned that was the first time i experienced like synthesis of any kind and it was ah, just okay. mind-blowing it was uh but but I suppose you you you're talking about what to recommend to to people. Yeah, who, I'll do, who let me just quickly. The... There's a there's a uh, there's an article on uh, Red Bull which says how to buy your first synth. Eight musicians tell you where to start, and mm -hmm. there are various people who've kind of got various different approaches. It's kind of interesting. So yeah, I suppose you know it's got to be relatively affordable and rewarding. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, well, obviously it depends on whether you want to go digital or fully analog. I would say that the micro micro brute is definitely a candidate because uh, it's uh, in terms of of its uh, value it's quite cheap uh, you can find them second hand for i don't know 150 or 170 yeah i mean it's astonishing like yeah 
and 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 it's it's quite a good synth uh and it has quite a a, a few com uh, capabilities and it has a little patch bay so it's it, almost like a semi modular in a way uh, i really like the sound of the oscillators they're quite beefy the filter is nice it's not a conventional filter uh but it sounds it sounds quite good and all in all i think it, i think it's a damn good little machine okay that's a good one i should i should probably quickly read out the uh because you're not going to make it through all of those words if i scroll the screen up here but basically uh it came out as uh, k minor recommended monarch which is a really actually is a really good uh sort of mini moog replication for uh reactor I would. Uh, 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 mm -hmm. It's like an ensemble, isn't it? That is really good. Yeah, it's uh, very Nabilia, good. It's very Nabilia, good. Nabilia, uh the Roland Gaia, which is an interesting one. And I remember when that first, because I've reviewed most of these actually. So the Gaia, when it first came out, was a very uh, capable instrument. Even though it's VA, it still was very knobby and lots of synthesis functions and actually quite powerful. You could layer things up. Uh, Ian Cook uh, from Church Virtues or Churches, a pocket operator. Churches. Not sure I, I would yeah. agree with that. Great band, uh, by the yeah. way. La Leaf, Logic X, Retro Synth. Yeah, the synths in, uh, in yeah, Logic the, are I, good. The one thing I didn't I didn't get about that is it says the Logic um, Retro Synth for $20 or 20 quid. Yeah, it's not, is it? And, I, and It's not it's, because it's free when you get Logic. So it's not 20 quid, 20. yeah. Uh, and we got a Volker Key, MicroKorg, and uh, Arturia Mini V, which is again software. So a bit of a mix of those things. So I mean, obviously, it shows sort of generationally where where people are and how they work as well, which is an interesting insight. What? So as a as a, uh, what would your recommendation be then? Ah, uh, yeah, CS80. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think actually the Volker Keys is a great place to start. That a set of headphones and nothing else because. Uh, and I, and I would always say, I would say go analog, not because it's not one of those analogs better than digital or the, anything like that. It's just that with analog, you you at least can see the signal flow. You can understand the path of what's happening. And just like you had said, the, the micro brute or the the mini brute, which is what I have, um, either one of those would be absolutely fantastic to have. I mean, they're great synths. They're cheap as chips. I mean, not, not, maybe not that cheap, but they're pretty cheap. And... Uh, easy to figure out right off the bat. Yeah, um, I, I would agree with that. My, my, I, now, my first synth was actually a CS20M. So <laughs> if you can get one of those, it's great because, you know, those are pretty easy to figure out. Yeah, um, it's the same but, same yeah. kind of thing, like straightforward, like SH101, which is, I think, yeah. my favorite synth of all times. Yeah, well, and now you can get that obviously in boutique form, but it's still going to be about three, four, nine. I, and I think my mine is probably the mini, uh, the mini log. I think because it sounds, yeah, it can yeah. sound really good as a mono, but it's also got you know even just four note poly, and and all of that parameter uh, uh, modulation that you can do via the sequencer. I think it's a real uh, unsung little classic. I mean, Korg obviously got quite a few in there. The Micro Korg, lots of people. I mean, that's one of the biggest selling synths of all time. The Micro Korg, bizarrely, uh, certainly for Korg anyway. Um, but yeah, I think the Mini Log is a cracking little synth, and you can get so much out of it. And because it's got a delay, you've also got the ability to create some space around things, and you can modulate the delay. So I, I think I might, but it's still, I think it's still. Oh, I don't know how much it costs these days. What does the like what does the four hundred Mini Log or four fifty something? Like I've, I've got days. one too. I love it. I love that thing. Yeah, I mean, I use it all over. Yes, yeah, yeah. So it's still a bit pricey. So it's a bit further up, but I, I think. Outside of that, I mean, for 150 quid, Microbrute, 
pretty hard to beat, I would say, in terms of bang for the buck, apart from the fact it's mono. If you want poly, then that's... Unless you're going software. But then you kind of got to factor in the fact that you need a computer and you need other mm -hmm. stuff, whereas, you know, first synth starting out, I think I'd go for that. Um, yeah, I think okay. something you plug headphones into and play, that's the way to go. You know, yeah. just yeah, don't even get a computer involved in it. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that's a, a good... I've got, I'll tell you what I've got here as well. I've got the Microvolt, uh, which is the Pittsburgh Modular, which I have to say, sounds, it's got this plucked um, low-pass nice. low pass gate, and it just, and you can drive it. Oh, hold on, if I do that. Yeah. And the wave folding. Yeah, I'm going to do a review on that sometime soon. Hopefully, I don't know if I'm going to get it in before I go on holiday, but it's a nice but they're, they're quite pricey, aren't they? Yeah, they're about 500 quid, five 600 quid, yeah. those desktop ones. It does look pretty cute. Uh, it's only a single oscillator, though, which is... I did Because I did a uh, Friday Fun Jam thing uh, last Friday with the Pittsburgh Modular SV1. And uh, I had used it for a while because mine was a really early version. It was even pre-production. So the tracking on the oscillators were a bit out. So I could only ever get like a certain amount. And it seemed to go off over time because when I reviewed it, I wasn't getting that sort of issue. Uh, but when I went to Superbooth, I took it with me and they replaced it with the sort of latest revision. And it sounds absolutely brilliant. I think it's just the oscillators and the filter and the envelope in that are just absolutely beautiful. I have to say, again, it's a pricier uh, affair and it's, you know, but yeah. Lovely sounding thing. Um, okay, then. Well, we're sort of getting close. I know that you've got to head off, uh, Yoad, so I don't want to drag you a, a, any longer. I just wondered, that the, is there anything we can't really cover anymore? I think we've... Did you see any of the Moogfest stuff? That was the... Moogfest was last week, and I think I've got... Uh, they did a playlist. They did some live streaming. If I just play a bit of this quickly, this was uh, Author and Punisher. Sort of interesting industrial thing with a really fascinating control interface that you built which is like a big mechanical handle and a, and a load of knobs and stuff quite an interesting sound but i mean part of that was moogfest isn't it great but the other thing was the streaming side of it just seems to make so much sense and particularly if you've got a trade show which has a musical con context to it because i mean nam is about music but there's not much music there that's not kind of fairly traditional so you don't have much live venues and stuff do you think it's the future, Yoad? <laughs> Online streaming of, uh, of events, so if you can't make it in person, you can kind of get a vibe from it, because it seems like it makes sense. Possibly. Uh, not only events, but also studio work. Um, you know, I try to, to evolve the, the streaming capabilities for, for many years now, uh, working remotely, which is something I do a lot, uh, and, and trying to get the, the sound quality better and better um but i don't know with uh you know with with vr and v with vr glasses or whatever screens and all that and and 3d um video but also immersive sound and all that who knows i mean it would definitely be more i mean you know people used to go to the cinema and now a lot of people watch netflix and and what have you so so it definitely penetrated that 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 market and the same thing will happen to uh to music eventually um or maybe people will go to to uh to a cinema theater and watch 
a stream from from a from a different part of the world. Or yeah, I've done like that. that. Yeah. I watched uh, Billy Elliot with my daughter. That was and that was really mm -hmm. good actually. It, it, it does yeah. it does you know and you can get uh, big theatrical performances, but obviously you have to empty the theatre because you can't really have cranes and cameramen moving all around in front of the audience or you have to yeah. sell the tickets cheap so because they can't see it because there's some bloke <laughs> with a massive great uh, <laughs> yeah. steady cam running around, yeah. But that does work. Interesting idea, though. Um, what do you think, Yeah, I mean, Charles? it's definitely the future. Yeah, I mean, because, yeah. you know, you're doing a lot of front of house. I mean, are any of the venues that you go to, is there often a live stream coming out of it? Or, you know, is that down to the artist wanting to make it happen? Or is it venue driven? Or? It's down to the artist. It's down to the artist. Um, I mean, we've had a rhythm feeds for me and they'll have like a four or five camera shoot, but nothing, nothing particularly over top. And usually that's for some sort of archiving purposes, you know, something they'll show later or make some kind of special out of. But, um, but I, I think I think the live streaming thing is is kind of a way of the future. The and then I think what will happen, certainly from a live perspective, is that they'll up their game uh, for people who are there. In that, for example, uh, there's a lot of talk about doing shows that are you know in full surround, kind of like what they were trying to do a long time ago, but like these fully immersive shows where, you know, they'll perform an album an album in a, in you know in quadraphonic or whatever the setup is i don't want to give away too much of what's possibly going to happen in my my near future but right. but yeah there's a there's a lot of talk about doing stuff like that you know because because that fully immersive experience is something you just can't replicate very at least very easily uh via streaming but i, I think streaming uh, to answer your question about streaming i definitely think streaming is the way forward especially for something like MOOCfast, you know um because it's the sort of thing that it's not like a concert in your town that you're like oh should i go or watch it streaming it's not like that because this is something that's happening in one place in one country away and you know not yeah. everybody can get to that so i think it's great that they offer this and it's good advertising for them too yeah no it makes a lot of sense it's interesting i, I don't know yo i don't want to kind of uh, um have you have to interrupt before you go are you are you uh, are you about to leave the chair it looks like you, we're probably getting close to your uh, your exit time uh, yeah, maybe I'll just say goodbye now and uh, and just uh, take off. Thank you ever so much for having us, Yo. It's been a pleasure uh, as ever, and a, a rare one recently because I know you've been busy. So no, I've... but I, I know I'll try to I'll try to be more available. Uh, well, when I know, I know it's just an hour and I can do four to five, I can take a break and then I can get back to to mixing. Then it's fine. Is that you know, what you're doing now? Have you got? Yeah, yeah, and I have quite a quite a tight deadline, and setting up it becomes you know quicker and quicker, so I can I can get it. Uh, so it's fine; it's more manageable now. So I'll I'll try to be more available. Oh well, that's very kind. Thank you very much. Anyway, yeah, um, thanks for having me. I wanted to continue the uh, the chat with you a bit, Charles, about this because I've got some. It's interesting, isn't it? Do you think that there's that we're going to end up in a situation where you create the spectacle for the people who show up so you get the surround and you get the other thing and then you also have the live stream for people who can't get there which might not be in surround but might be a kind of ticketed or paid stream thing so you'd have the that i mean that would make sense um yeah do you but but the the issue is is obviously you know artists may feel that they've been really burned with the live streaming thing you know because spotify all of these services which are great for us and users don't really kind of kick back much to the artists and it's a very difficult thing to monetize so do you think that maybe this is something they'll want to hang on to and kind of go yeah okay 
we'll see partnerships developing. So it's like, yep, yeah, you can come and do this. We'll sell the rights for this. Somebody can monetize that. But the artist will actually get something from it rather than have to give it as yes. a yet another added extra. Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, especially uh, any acts that are somewhat business savvy understand the importance of creating value through scarcity, and you know, not having this, not having their streaming stuff just anywhere on any, you know, whether it's, you know, just on YouTube or Spotify or whatever. But if they do a thing where they partner up with someone who has exclusive control over that. Uh, then they they keep the value of that scarcity, um, and certainly the X the X that I'm talking to, that's that's their plan. They don't they don't plan on doing some sort of general streaming thing, but yeah. But to go back to what you're saying earlier about the people who are there in the audience getting a, a unique experience, the um, that that is the idea is to make it actually a real reward when you come to the show when you make the effort of coming to the show which is not to imply that people who don't make the effort are lazy or anything like that. It's just like, well, well it depends what sort of show you're doing. If it's like yeah. raw power, rock and roll, then that's what you're going to get, you know, and you can't yeah. get that anywhere else. Exactly. You know, it, it's, I do have to say that one part of this that I've been thinking a bit about is that, so, you know, I do, I do a lot of shows. I do what, 80 to a hundred shows a year, pretty, pretty steadily. And I have yet to be to a show where, it seems like at least a third of the audience and you know in an audience of say 10,000 people you know 3,300 people are holding up their phones and just like watching the show through their phone which is just like I just think that is the strangest thing I and it like and I, I the people I know even I have friends who do that and they never watch the videos later unless maybe they're showing a little clip of it to someone else but they don't go watch it later, but they miss the whole show so they can have it on their phone. It's, no, then... but it's really interesting you say that because it's a similar sort of thing. You're on holiday, you see something, you, see, you take a picture. It's the value through scarcity you're talking. So somebody feels like unless they capture it, they're not getting the full, you know, it will have some value because it's a it's a special event. But you're right, it's a, it's not a great way to watch a show, you know, is through yeah. your phone or worrying about whether or not you've, you're holding it upright or whether the bloke's head in front is in the way or whatever. I agree, but and I think it's, it's it's not th- it, it's just this sort of it's a strange psychological dilemma that you get to when you're going to see something special do i live in the moment and enjoy it or do i try and record it for posterity in my small way you know i think that's <laughs> that's kind yeah. of that's, I, that's my iphone a, microphone you know it's like <laughs> you know they you know i remember like we do when i well like especially uh in the early days of this uh when i was touring with grace jones you know, we do a show and then immediately log on to YouTube just to see how many people had uploaded videos of the show. Um, and it's just amazing because it just sounded awful. And, you know, and always, there's always like, you know, the really shaky camera. You know? And you well, know, I someone, to, someone trying to clap and film at the same time, you know. But does, does, a, does that, does something, but again, you know, if you're touring, you're on the road because some bands will say, yeah, go for it because it generates forward interest because people go i, yeah. I want to see that for myself that looks like it's probably amazing it doesn't look amazing here but i'm conv- that, that it's conveying something about the show in the future that i would want to go and buy a ticket to go and see that for yeah. real so i suppose that's the choice you make you know if, if you because uh, some people won't allow it and and that's really difficult isn't it that's sort of starting to kind of uh, you can't bring your phone in you know it's like when you go to the american yeah. embassy you've got to leave everything outside you basically yeah. have to go in your clothes 
You can't even yeah. wear your glasses in some instances. You know, it's kind yeah. of crazy. So you can't really do that. So, well, the, the only the only act I worked with uh, that didn't allow people to film was uh, Prince. Yeah, Prince Prince had like his two main security guards, and they would have like these super high beam flashlights. And as soon as they saw someone filming, they'd just shine the shine light right at them until they put the phone down, which was honestly a bit obnoxious. Um, yeah, and uh, but you know, a couple of other acts I worked with in the earlier days, they were sort of like, ah, you know, people don't stop filming, you know, please stop filming, but they didn't ban it, and now no one seems to care. But it, and, and yeah, I understand where you come from, but, it, but it, to me, it's still kind of weird, like, yeah, you know, third audience. Well, maybe, maybe the thing to show. do, you know, maybe the thing that will happen, I and mean, this is, I'm just riffing here, really, is that you come to the show, you buy the ticket, you know, which is an expensive thing. But as part of that, you get access to something that happened there that was filmed in higher quality. You know, you can get that, you know, you, or you get the opportunity to buy it at a reduced rate because you were there. Yeah. You can trade it in. I mean, you know, with the IT these days, it's not something that should be impossible to do. And that might be more fun, you know, to do that. Uh, but again, it's like the DVD, isn't it? The DVD would come out of the performances and that's often a thing that would happen. I mean, it's, it, it's yeah. just a question of how you structure it. OMD did this thing uh, for a while where, um, so we had this company with us, um, gosh, I forgot their names offhand, uh, the LA-based company. They were touring around with us. They would take a feed from my console and then a couple of uh, stereo mics, mix them together and then make a recording of the show and then they had this mass USB uh, DVD replica, replicator yeah. or it was it was, it was uh, USB key thing so oh, they okay. have like 50, 50 USB keys and it would print it to all those at once they pull them out they put another 50 in print all those and then they would sell them and then whoever sell them for like not much more like just a little bit and uh, whoever and it was right at the end of the show they would sell them and whatever once they didn't sell they would just use them for the next show and on the on the DVD or on the uh, USBs, it would have like an interview with the band from that same day of the show. You know, just talking about how great it was to play their town and things like that. And people loved that. That was quite a quite a money spinner. And I, I'm kind of surprised we don't really do that. But we did something like that for Rollover Hall. We did do a, uh, a a live to vinyl thing, and you could get like a download of the show, and then like two weeks later, we'd send you the vinyl or something like that. That's an interesting I mean, idea. I wonder why. Yeah. I mean, I wonder why that's not because USB replicators of that speed and they are expensive. But so maybe the costs. But I mean, you could see if it's just taking a feed and then getting a reasonable mix of that and then sticking it straight at, in there. Then it's. I mean, you could even do it, but on a, a, a stem, so you could have the yeah. mic feed and the live feed as as you know native instrument stems format. Can you? I mean, there's all sorts of yeah. things you could do. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think it's a I think it's a great idea. I, I'm kind of glad in a way we haven't been doing it because you know uh well it's it's different now because we're playing much bigger venues than we were six seven years ago um six seven years ago we were playing like thousand seaters 1500 seaters and now we're playing like two thousand and above seaters um so it's the the mix that you hear that's just off the board is actually better because i'm not, not i'm actually doing mixing instead of sound reinforcement because you know yeah, the smaller yeah, places yeah. you're just doing reinforcement so I'm, I'm actually doing proper mixes which which sound better when you're just hearing a board mix. Uh, they're not mixed for the PA so much. They're actually mixed just for proper mixing. Interesting. Uh, but yeah, I, I wish we'd do it again. I, I, I suppose the thing is, is it makes it, it makes that kind of the put the route to piracy so easy. Cause it's, here's, I've got a file. All I have to do is, you know, 
uploaded yeah. somewhere or whatever. But I don't know how relevant that is because with niche, I mean, you know, OMD, you know, they're not like a massive, they're not like Beyonce where there yeah. is this sort of, uh, it's more of a niche thing and people are less likely to bootleg it maybe on uh, it's such a great people degree. Less but, and also, you know, OMD's not, uh, just using, because they're the most recent example, they're not particularly precious about the, about recordings of shows. They're just really not. You know, they they know it's a board mix. They know it's you know got its rough spots, whatever. It's like not like someone's going to go out and just be selling that like crazy, and it's not going to dent their album sales at all. You know, mm. it's going to have because what they do on the album is very different than what they do live. Because what they do on the album is you know it's very nice and stuff like that. Uh, but when I mix them live, it's a rock show. I mean, it's very loud. It's very powerful. It's very. Like they they say that it's quite aggressive and that's what they like about it. <laughs> so it's yeah. a, it's a completely different thing. It it doesn't doesn't affect them very much at right. all if, uh, Interesting. if that gets pirated or whatever. Interesting, but I, I think you know, like like the Moog Festival is the first time that they've done. They partnered up with View House and uh, KMWRC, who do some really good uh, in-house uh, stuff. I've posted a couple of videos over the past uh, six months of just really great performances. It's usually like Fender Rhodes Electronica. They're just it's really nicely done, and there's a bit interview aspect to it, you know. And it's I think it's uh, publicly funded, you know. Pro- so it's great. It's a great uh, resource. So I mean, yes. To a degree, although from our point of view, the idea of having to say maybe put on an event like that ourselves because we do stream, we're streaming now, we've got facilities mm-hmm. here, would be technologically quite challenging and take a, a different set of personnel. <laughs> I wouldn't want to run a show like that. I'd rather yeah. just that'd be that'd be the ultimately worth you know rather than just me looking through a camera, I'd have to be looking through all of this stuff, and that, that would be even less enjoyable from a, <laughs> from a viewing <laughs> point of view because it's so stressful. Charles, thank you ever so much for that insight. Um, I think that's probably a good time to uh, say goodbye and stop the show. As you know, we've said goodbye to uh, Yoad. Had to get off at five. Charles very kindly stuck around for a little bit longer. Um, we'll see you again soon. I, like I said, I don't think there's a show next week. Uh, I'm going to be away on holiday, but week after. Uh, we'll be around okay thank you very yeah, much for joining us Charles. cool man thanks okay that's it for this week and don't forget if you want to enter the uh, competition to win isotope neutron 2 we're looking for the hashtag mix balance and the hashtag neutron 2 to at sonic state and at isotope inc uh, that's the hashtag mix balance and the hashtag neutron 2 to at isotope inc and at sonic state that's it for this week thank you very much i can do it can i do a twos up no we can't because that's that we'll do a fours up Oh, that's even weirder. Wow, that's really weird. (laughs) I've not seen that before. We'll do a fours up and we can say goodbye as we go. Anyway, thank you very much for watching. We'll see you all next time. Take care.